my sisters it is yet another episode of when marriage hurts podcast this is episode number 10 and in this episode we're going to be talking about the cycle of abuse um so we're going to be looking at the stages of abuse abuse really is a cycle it's not an event it's not um just something that happens once it's a cycle and hopefully when we talk about the stages in the cycle um you'll be able to identify uh reasons why people in abusive relationships tend to stay it's because it's it's a cycle you know it's not it's usually not that there's abuse every single day so we'll be looking at the stages in the cycle of abuse and we'll be giving practical examples of what that might look like in real life so stay tuned get ready to be informed get ready to be educated and i will see you right after this hey sis welcome to the when marriage hurts podcast i'm your host ola davis My mission is to help Christian women in painful marriages become aware of the marriage lies our society and religion has programmed our heads with. Are you tired of marriage advice that always blames you for whatever goes wrong in your marriage? Have you attended all the marriage seminars seeking help only to be blamed and shamed for your marriage problems? Has your marriage become the source of your greatest pain? Have you lost hope of being happily married? Are you just hanging in for the sake of your kids? I've been there before. I know what it is like to feel alone in marriage, yet feel trapped by the wedding vows that I made. Together, we will discover scriptural truths that set us free from the pain so that healing can begin. Oh yeah, let's shake some tables. Welcome back. Welcome back to the When Marriage Hurts podcast. I am your host, Ola Davis. And like I said earlier, we'll be talking about the cycle of abuse in this episode. Um, Yes, so we'll just go right into it. Um, Yes, so abuse, like I was saying earlier, abuse is not usually just one incident, right? Um, It's... It's a cycle. So you have different stages. We're going to highlight four stages of the abuse cycle in this episode. So it's stage one, stage two, stage three, stage four, and then it goes back to stage one, stage two. So it's sort of like a cycle. And um, at the end of this episode, hopefully you'll be able to recognize why it is a lot of times it's difficult for a person to recognize that this cycle is happening and over a period of years it just becomes the person's life it just becomes their life it just becomes their marriage and it is what it is at that point and it can confuse the brain anyways i don't want to get ahead of myself let us get started with the first stage so in the cycle of abuse the first stage is what's usually referred to as um, tension or the stage where tension starts building 
it's um, in this stage that the the abuser feels powerless and i'm talking about the abuser now not the victim not the target right the abuser himself feels powerless they feel like they're not in control of a situation or their life in general and the the abuser is aggravated by outside stressors um, so when I mean outside stressors, I mean stressors that are outside of the marriage. So it could be work, it could be their other relationships, it could be relationship with colleagues, it could be um, relationships in their own family of origin. Now, what I mean by family of origin is the family in which they grew up in or born into so not like their wife and kids but like their the the family from which they originated right okay so it could be stressors just outside stressors in general it could be money right maybe money is tight um it could be work related if they're like a business person maybe they're trying to lay hold of this contract and it's stressing them out just outside stressors that has nothing to do with their marriage, right? Um, so they become aggravated by that. And the victim in this case, which is the wife, notices that her husband is um, not... She just notices that something's different, right? Like something's off. And if they've been married a few years she she kind of recognizes that this mood change is is not something nice right it's something that could be um it could be terrible for her it could be terrible for the kids right so she starts essentially walking on eggshells now a lot of us grew up in homes where this was just the normal life growing up like i've spoken to people i've spoken to friends and a lot of people can relate to times when they were growing up when they would just know that okay daddy is just in a bad mood and everybody you just you you just try not to piss him off essentially <laughs> and we grew up thinking this was normal it isn't actually, I mean, it is normal for people to have mood changes. It is normal for people to be stressed by whatever, um, but it is unacceptable behavior to make every other person's life in the home difficult just because you're stressed. And that's something that we were oddly taught growing up right? We just thought this was normal. Now, when a child is stressed and they're acting out or misbehaving, that's usually not allowed, right? Like the child will be disciplined or cautioned or whatever. Um, a lot of times too, a woman doesn't have the freedom or the liberty to misbehave just because she's been stressed right? She still needs to show up as a good mom. She still needs to show up as a good 
wife in most cases, right? Um, but the husband, the father, usually they're not accountable, at least in the sense of an abuser. They're usually not accountable to anybody. Now, I'm not saying that they don't maybe attend church or have a pastor that they're supposedly accountable to. Um, but generally speaking, they do as they please in their own home. They treat anybody the way they want to treat them in their own home, right? And um, so that's how it usually works in an abusive household. So going back to my point of everybody kind of notices that dad is not in a good mood, um, my husband is not in a good mood type of th situation. So it essentially becomes the responsibility of the wife to try and keep the home front stable, for lack of a better word, because she's at this point, she's walking on eggshells, right? She's keeping the kids walking on eggshells as well. And what I mean by eggshells is just imagine that the floor is full of eggshells, right? And that's what you walk on all day. There's, there's very little that you can do to not make a sound when you're walking on eggshells, right? So if you're, you know, eggshells are so fragile. <laughs> and I think it's the perfect analogy because an abuser, they is typically, not typically, really, all abusers have fragile egos, like super, super fragile egos. So when you're walking on eggshells, there is, except you are as light as a butterfly, there's no way you're going to walk on eggshells without making a sound, right? So you're just trying to carefully tread, carefully tread, because any little thing that you do say, like you can't even have a conversation with the abuser at that point. It's just going to trigger them, right? It's just going to trigger them and they're going to blow up. So the wife tries to just tread carefully. She makes sure that the kids tread carefully. If a husband is watching TV, maybe he's watching football or watching a movie on TV, she's going to make sure that all the kids are quiet. She's going to, even the baby is not permitted to cry, right? <laughs> she's just, she just doesn't want anything that's going to piss him off, anything that's going to trigger him, anything that's going to aggravate the abuser. And that's just no way to live. I mean, some of you might be listening to this right now and you can relate, right? Because you can think of times when this has happened in your own home, in your own marriage. And some others may be listening to this thinking, well, what's so wrong in that? And the reason that you think this isn't weird or wrong is probably because you grew up in that type of a household where daddy comes home from work and he just looks mad and everybody just, you know, to your tent to Israel, everybody just crams, you know, to their bedroom or wherever and stay quiet and try to stay out of his way. 
that is not what God set up families to look like. Okay. All right. Um, so the victim tries not to set off the abuser. I think I already mentioned that. So that's like the first stage in the cycle. And then the second stage is where an abusive incident actually happens. Or at least something that most people would uh, recognize as abusive. So the first stage, the tensions building, building, building. And then the the abuser feels aggravated they f- they f- they they feel powerless and not in control they're aggravated by stressors and then in the second stage boom they try to gain control right because they feel like they're losing control see the thing with abusers is abusers they come off as powerful people but really they're weak <laughs> i'll say that again Abusers are people that are weak in their very core. They're weak, they're fragile, but they come across as powerful, right? They come because that's the kind of image they want to project. They don't want to deal with their inadequacies, so they want to project this false image to the world. So they try, they would want to try to gain control, to feel powerful. And then they do something to gain control. It doesn't matter what it is. So long as to them, it feels like they're gaining control. That's what they're going to do. And usually it's something that hurts the other person. It's something that hurts their spouse, right? Now, whatever they do, it could be mental, it could be emotional, it could be physical, um, like it, it could come in any form. It could be verbal, could be verbal abuse where they're saying hurtful and demeaning words or they're lashing out or they're name calling, right? So if the abuser is the type that goes physical, um, it's at this stage that they can shove the person or stop pushing people around their wife, their kids, or they could just lash out and slap somebody. Or um, if they're more of the mentally and emotionally abusive person, they will or um, verbally abusive like this they all work together right so they would start saying hurtful demeaning words um they will be lashing out they would call their spouse names call their children names for just like the littlest things just piss them off and they just engage in name calling and saying demeaning things. I'm trying to give uh, practical examples here. So maybe the wife prepares his food and he just takes a bite and he's like, what's this? And the wife is looking at him like, what do you mean, what's this? It's your, it's your food, it's your meal. And it's like, what's this trash? You call this food? <laughs> you call this food? 
and he just storms away and doesn't eat it because he knows that's gonna hurt his wife right like she she put in some energy and you know possibly love into cooking this meal so he's just gonna do stuff like that just to get at get at her right um now mind you she did nothing to bring this on and in our culture especially in the christian culture i should say people tend to make this out to be the the wife's fault like i so if the wife were to explain this whole scenario to someone they would probably ask questions like well are you sure like what kind of food was it oh it was jollof rice oh are you sure that it wasn't too spicy or maybe you put too much salt on Maggie or something like something must have been wrong with the food for him to act that way like <laughs> they keep saying this foolish things just to find a way to place the blame on the woman right even if you cook crap for your husband it is no excuse to be treated in a demeaning way even if you add too much salt to their food or you forgot to even put any salt in their food or it wasn't it didn't have enough pepper for them whatever the case might be it is no excuse for anybody to treat you badly to say hurtful demeaning words okay all right let's keep it rolling so it's at this second stage in the cycle that the abusive incident happens and it might seem so um harmless it might seem so harmless but when these things accumulate accumulate over time what it does is it tears down the self-esteem of the target, the, the target or the victim. It tears their self-esteem apart. It tears their personhood apart. And that is where the abuser gets his own power. Because like I said before, abusers are people that have very fragile egos they can't stand to have a healthy person around them. They try to pull you down below their own level, right? So if you're someone with a, with a healthy self-esteem, healthy sense of self-worth, you can't coexist with an abuser because they, they, can't, they can't deal with that. They have to bring you to a point where you are like below the dust for them to feel good about their own selves. And that is where the church propagates this kind of behavior. Because they will tell a woman that, well, you need to be submissive. Well, what does that even mean? Because their own definition of being submissive means you have to come really low. You have to be beneath and below. So that your husband can feel good about his, his, his own self. Okay. So at this stage is where you also have blame shifting. So they shift blame. They, they use uh, different weapons, right? To try and intimidate their victim. 
so the man engages in manipulation he can have this flashes of rage like you could ask him the most simplest questions and he will just answer in a way that just shuts you up right away so there's rage there's anger there's um intimidation and intimidation could come in different forms in fact it might not even involve the use of words like the way it looks at you you just know that okay i better shut up <laughs> that is intimidation right there or there there's this Sometimes it's just this deadly stare where someone gives you that evil eyes and it just shuts you up right away. That's intimidation. That's they're playing games with your brain. It's what they're doing. So they're not even so you can't if you want to recount what happened to someone else and they said, Well, so what did your husband say? You just think to yourself, like, well, he didn't say anything. And they look at you like, okay, so wh why do you feel so bad? And the the victim struggles to explain what she's experiencing. Because she doesn't have the words to really articulate that, well, he didn't say anything at that point, but the way he looked at me made me feel fearful. Like people will just look at you like you're crazy. Because they don't understand, Right? Now, at this stage too, you could see like silent treatment. And mind you, I'm not saying that every single thing I'm mentioning happens in everybody's case or in every single scenario. I'm just giving you examples of what could happen in this stage of the cycle of abuse. So it could be silent treatment where... Um, the woman's trying to engage her husband or have a conversation or be intimate or whatever, and they just give you the silent treatment. They treat you with such disdain that you start to look at yourself and think, well, is there something wrong with me? There's actually nothing wrong with you. It's just that the person wants you to feel as miserable as they are. And that's where they get their power. Okay? When they can get you to be as miserable as they are, then they feel powerful. Then they feel good. Then they feel like they're in control. So they treat the victim with disdain. They isolate the victim. They neglect the victim, right? It's at the stage that the woman starts to feel like she's alone in the marriage, even though she's not really alone. They, uh, at this stage, you could also see behaviors like threats where the abuser is issuing threats. Um, they could also do other things to establish control. So the abuser could control how the victim acts, how they dress, how they socialize. You know, they could try to control their outside relationships. So like if you're out with your husband and you're just out with people and you're having a good conversation with people, especially if the wife is like the outgoing type, right? And just making conversation with people and maybe people just like your company, right? 
um, when you get back home or when you get back in the car on the way home, the abuser is not going to like that. They could say something like, well, did you, did you really have to, don't you think you were saying too much? And you might think, well, no one else had an issue with what I was saying there. Like, I actually think people enjoyed the conversation. Now, the wife might think that if, um, if they've only been married like a couple of years or whatever, but over time, the wife trains herself not to even talk a lot while in public with her husband or possibly not to even talk at all. Because she knows that whatever she says in that place, no matter how harmless it is, her husband is going to use it against her later on, right? So that's how you see where the the victim's personhood is being lost, right? Because they can't even be themselves. They can't even socialize with people like they normally would, right? They can't dress the way they normally dress because they're just trying to please the abuser they don't want to do anything that's going to set him off and that's why when you see some people they're newly married and then three four years down the line you start seeing changes they start dressing differently they start acting differently when they're out with other people in the presence of their husband Um, they start isolating themselves maybe they used to love um, visiting family and friends before they start pulling back. They always have excuses for why they can't be at this place and that place and this event. Um, now I'm not saying these things couldn't happen in normal scenarios, right? Like if a person just became a mom, for instance, and they have really young kids and they don't have enough help, they may not be able to do those things anymore, at least not in that stage of their lives. But if you see someone and you're just seeing this weird changes after they got married that you can't really say, oh, maybe it's because, right? Like it just looks like they're being isolated. It could be that they're being abused. It could be that abuse has started in their marriage. Okay, I will move on to the next stage in the cycle of abuse. Now, this is an interesting one. Some people call it the honeymoon phase of the cycle um, or just reconciliation, right? So some time may have passed. Um, You remember the first stage was um, tension building, right? Now, in this stage of the cycle, the tension sort of decreases. There isn't as much tension in the home. The abuser starts acting really loving and they start doing kind things. They show kindness. They do kind acts for their wife. It could be in the form of buying gifts. It could be um, anything that's going to help her or that she would um, see as being loving. So it could come in different ways. They could buy her a gift. It could be something that she's been asking for for a long time that the man has just ignored her or just shut her up. He could just go and just buy it at that point. You know, it's going to be so touching to the wife, right? It could be something that she's always asked. And when I say something, it doesn't have to be 
It doesn't have to be material stuff. It could be as simple as maybe she's always um, asked for the man's participation in raising the children, right? And the man just tends to ignore her and the woman just gives up, gives up on this, right? Now, it's at this stage of the cycle, the man could just start picking up those responsibilities where it would give the woman hope. She would feel like, oh, maybe my husband is really changing or, you know, maybe that sermon we heard in church on Sunday really touched his heart and is is really becoming, oh, maybe my prayers have been answered, right? Like she gets excited. She's happy. She feels like they're in a good place again in their marriage. The abuser does things that he knows that the victim loves. So this is the face where he starts telling her how beautiful she is. Starts telling her how it's so, you know, gives her words of affirmation. Tell her she's beautiful. Tell her, oh, I'm so lucky to have you as my wife. And blah, blah, blah. Um, just does nice things thoughtful things for her right and the woman just feels good and she thinks that it's almost you know that's why some people call it the honeymoon phase it's almost like they're newly married again and things are just great and everybody's happy supposedly and the woman just thinks of what happened previously as well it was just a rough patch right and then <clears throat> excuse me and then she you know the so the way this works is that when the abuser is doing all these nice things it's to make the the abused person or the victim or the target feel good they feel connected right they feel connected to their abuser they feel like they oh we have a bond again and what goes on in the brain is that when when the wife is experiencing all this good stuff, it releases some chemicals, some hormones in her body. Like f they call them feel-good hormones um, for the people that are trained in medical stuff. I'm referring to oxytocin and dopamine. So they're like feel-good hormones where the woman feels, she just feels great. Um, if someone, if she has a friend or someone on the outside that thinks that that's trying to tell her or let her know that you're being treated badly by your husband, of course, she's not going to listen because she's moved on to the honeymoon phase now where everything is great. And she starts to, um, minimize whatever it is that her husband had done or in the past. And when I say in the past, it could be literally like two days ago. You know, the thing about the stages is that it could happen over a long period of time. It could happen over a short period of time. It could, it could happen in a period of two or three days. It could even happen in the same day. Like it could treat you like trash in the morning and by afternoon or evening time, you're in the honeymoon phase. So that's the crazy thing about the cycle of abuse. So she's not going to listen to anybody trying to tell her that, you've been treated badly or you shouldn't allow yourself to be treated this way. She's she's just going to push it aside. She's going to diminish whatever's happened 
um, yeah, it was bad, but it's just because my husband was having a bad day or she will find him some excuse or maybe he's just had, he, he had a tough day at work that day and that's why that happened. Like she would just diminish whatever happened previously. And then this honeymoon phase or reconciliation phase is followed by the fourth stage, right? Or the fourth phase, which is the calm phase. Now, at this stage, the abuser might kind of um, think back to what happened, think back about the abuse incident, right? Which is the second phase. And, and try to sit that husband down and be like, you know, let's talk about this thing that happened. So she's trying to seek closure, right? So she might bring up the incident and just as a way to start a conversation about what happened. But the abuser isn't going to have any of that. The abuser is just going to go right into, um, either blaming the victim, blaming his wife, or blame some other outside factors like, you know, work has just been so stressful. That contract I've been chasing is just, it's been, it's kind of frustrating at this point. Or, you know, you know, my mother has been mounting pressure over me um, about us giving our a grandchild or like he's going to have so many excuses to throw out there, but he's not going to take responsibility is always going to be someone else's fault. So it could be his mom's fault for pressuring him to give uh, a grandchild, which in turn puts the blame on the woman, right? Cause she's the one that's supposed to bear a child or he's blaming his work his boss at work his colleagues that are making his life miserable at work or is blaming he's always going to blame somebody else right he's not going to take responsibility now he may apologize right but when an abuser apologizes it's never a real apology it's apology that's going to carry something else with it right So it's going to be like apology mixed with blame shifting. So they may say something like, well, I'm sorry, you know that I've not been sleeping well for the past few days and you know how I'm like when I don't get a good night's sleep, right? Um, Well, I'm sorry, but you know, I was fasting that day and that's why my temper was shot. Or, well, I'm sorry, but you know, you provoked me. If you had not said what you said, I wouldn't have lashed out at you. That's not an apology, my sister. <laughs> that is worse than not getting an apology. That's a non-apology. Is what I call it, a non-apology. When someone is apologizing and on the other hand, they are blame shifting. They are shifting blame. They are blaming you, blaming something else. They are not taking full responsibility for their actions. And a lot of people don't know this. They just hear, I'm sorry, and they think, oh, that's an apology. No, apology is when you apologize and you take responsibility. You don't shift the responsibility to someone else. So 
um, another thing that the abuser can also do is to deny that the abuse even happened. Or they could minimize it or they could say, oh, that's in the past. That's one funny thing about abusers. Every bad thing that they've ever done, oh, it's in the past. And when they tell you that it's in the past, it's because they don't want to deal with it. They don't want to have a conversation about it. They don't want to hear you talk about it. They'll say, well, why do you always have to live in the past? What do you mean live in the past? This was something you did two days ago and we've never talked. We, we should have a discussion about it. Abuser will tell you, no, it's in the past. Why do you want to, you know, the Bible says we should look forward, right? We should press on forward. We should not live in the past. Like they will just say crazy manipulative things to get you to drop the subject. And if you're not going to drop the subject, they will just say, well, it wasn't that bad. What do you mean? I didn't even hit you. I just, my hand just touched you or some other crazy stuff like that. Or they will say, oh, that's not what I said. I only said, and they, they twist the whole thing around. They say something completely different. Or in some cases, they will just completely deny that the incident happened. So let's say you're having a conversation with them and you're like, you know, four days ago on Monday when we were having a discussion about blah, 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 and you said this to me and you said this about me, they'll be like, what? Be like, yeah, yeah, on Monday we were having, they'll be like, no, I didn't have any such conversation with you on Monday or any other day. And the abuse, the, the victim will just be like, that just confuses you. When something that happened so recently and all you're doing is you're not even, I mean, this happened to me personally, okay, where I would bring stuff up that my husband did and or said that deeply hurt me and I'll be like, okay, we need to have a conversation about this. You said this to me last week and... The abuser I was married to would just completely deny that that thing ever happened. So it's either they deny that it happened or they come up with a different version of events. And that just confuses the crap out of you. Because you start thinking, what? That's not how it went down. But maybe there were no witnesses. At least in my own case, there it was just between the two of us and God was the only witness, right? So in the mind of an abuser, if there are no witnesses to their bad behavior, then it never happened. And this was difficult for me to understand because I thought I was married to a man of God. I thought I was married to someone that had the fear of God. I thought I was married to someone that could... I mean, not beyond mistakes, but when he realizes his mistakes, that he can actually own up to them and say something along the lines of, you know, I'm really sorry about that. There's no excuse for me to behave that way. And I apologize. Oh, no. He would just flat out deny that it ever happened. Because to them, they see themselves as good people. So they can't be made to face their bad actions the only thing they want to remember about themselves is the good things they've ever done they never want to 
face up to the fact that they've done some real terrible things that they need to be accountable for. This is how the mind of the abuser works. So they would deny that the abuse happened or they're going to minimize it or they're going to say, oh, it's all in the past. It's all in the past. Every bad thing that they've done to hurt you, to damage you, it's all in the past and they don't want to talk about it. So this now makes the victim to think that it's all our fault or after, if this has been going on for a while, if it's been going on for years, she starts thinking that maybe the abuse didn't really happen. And I know that sounds crazy, but it does happen where when someone denies your reality and they continue to deny your reality, like, you know, you know, the sky is blue. You know, the sky is blue. Yeah. Sometimes it might look gray if it's cloudy, but it's usually blue. Like, you know, this for a fact, like you're looking at the sky right now and you know, it is blue. But then someone keeps telling you it's not blue, it's green. It's green. And you're thinking, no, it's blue. I've always known it's blue. They taught me as a child that it's blue. And they're like, it's green, it's green. If that goes on for a good period of time, you will get to a point where you start thinking, maybe I'm wrong. If my husband says it's green, if my pastor says it's green, if I go to my parents for advice and they even tell me it's green, maybe I'm seeing wrong. Maybe I need glasses. Maybe. And that's what goes on in the mind of someone who's been abused. They're confused. They're confused. They start thinking maybe they're wrong. And they start thinking, well, it must be green then. So they, they stop seeing the sky as blue. So the woman starts thinking, well, maybe it didn't really happen or maybe it's not as bad as I thought it was. Maybe it just affected me that way. Maybe it's, maybe it's not really that bad. Or maybe it was even my fault. If I had kept the baby quiet when my husband was watching TV, maybe he wouldn't have lashed out at me that way. If I had... You know, if I was making more money, maybe my husband wouldn't be so stressed, so stressed up that he would hurt me or beat me up. If I just remembered to put salt in the rice that I was cooking, my husband wouldn't have been as pissed off. So she starts thinking it's her fault or the abuse didn't really happen or maybe she was overthinking it. And everything just dies down right there. Um, that's how that phase goes. It's where the abuser apologizes without really apologizing. Or they just try to bamboozle their victim and say it's all in the past. Like why, why can't you just let us move forward without really addressing the issue, right? Um... It's where they deny that anything even happened or they try to minimize it or blame their wife for it. And at, at a point, the wife too starts thinking, maybe it's her fault. Maybe if I had done this, listen, there is nothing that you do to bring on abuse. 
Yes, I did say that. Another person's bad behavior is not your fault. They need to take full responsibility for their actions. Even if you said something that was rude, it's no reason for your husband to hit you. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say that again because I know that a lot of people would disagree with that. Even if you say something that is rude, which you shouldn't, but I'm saying if you did, it's still no reason for your husband to hit you. And I don't even understand why that's like brain surgery that some people just can't wrap their brains around it. Like if a man says something that's rude to his wife, is that a good enough reason for her to raise a hand against her husband? Well, if your answer to that is no, why shouldn't it be true the other way around? Anyways, so those are the four phases or stages in the cycle of abuse. So the first one is where the tension builds. The second one is second phase is where the abuse abusive incident actually happens. The third phase is the honeymoon or reconciliation phase and then the fourth phase is where everything's kind of calm. Um the Victim tries to make sense of what happened. The abuser doesn't want to have a conversation about it or they blame some outside factors or they blame shift or they they minimize what happened or even deny that it happened in the first place. And then there's a period of calm and then the cycle starts all over again with the tension building and on and on it goes. So that's the cycle of abuse. I hope that what you've um, learned from this episode is helpful to you to kind of analyze what might have happened in your marriage in the past or currently happening. Um, So this is how the cycle works. When you're in an abusive relationship, at any point in time, you are in one of the stages. And like I said, it could... It could, the cycle could last a period of time. It could be short. It could be long. It could be days. It could be hours. It doesn't really matter. It just kind of follows this pattern. Okay, so we're going to wrap it up on this episode. Yeah, what else do I say at the end of the episode? <laughs> I just went blank for a moment there. Yeah, so um, please, if you've loved this episode... Uh, It would mean the world to me if you could leave us a review on Apple iTunes. Just search for When Marriage Hurts and leave a review. You don't have to use your real name. You could use a nickname or whatever if you don't want to use your real name. And um, leave us a review. It would mean the world to me. Um, Also, please go to our Facebook page. We have a group there. When marriage hurts. Now, I need to explain that the group is for ladies only. It's only for women. Yeah, I know that men can be abused as well. But yeah, someone's going to raise up a man that's going to start that ministry. But it's not this one right here. When marriage hurts is strictly for women. So I'm sorry. when We will not be accepting membership from men. Okay. All right. So um, please go to the group join and let's continue the conversation there until next time when i come your way on another episode 
Um, be careful for nothing. Do not be anxious. Um, take your worries to God in prayer. And remember that Jesus loves you and he's promised that he would never leave you nor forsake you. Has this podcast blessed you? If yes, please head over to Apple Podcasts, When Marriage Hurts, and leave a written review for the show. It would be such a blessing to me to know that this show has impacted you in some ways. Also, share this podcast with a friend. Let's spread the word. Lastly, if you would like to be a part of a community of like-minded women of faith who are on a journey to living the best life God has for them despite their marriage challenges, join our Facebook group, When Marriage Hurts. Until next time, remember these words of Jesus. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest.